Welcome to Kraken Cooperstown, where we talk all things baseball Hall of Fame and Hall of Fame collecting. Join us as we discuss Hall of Fame voting, autographs, cards, baseballs, resumes, and trajectories. Debate and discussion as we look to crack the code to Cooperstown. Now here's your host, Jake Brewer, Dom Man. Dude, we're legit now. You hear that intro? Dude, I love it, man. It's awesome. It's about time. Trying to save your vocal cords a little bit from doing the intro every single time. So, Dude, that's that's fantastic. That's like early Christmas gift right there. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Merry Christmas to everybody who celebrates. Uh, it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Excited to get this one in here right before we celebrate next week. Uh, Going to talk a little bit of Hall of Fame ballot, man. I mean, exciting time of year for us, not just because of of Christmas and everything it really means, but also because it is Hall of Fame writers ballot season. Who doesn't love that? Oh man, it, it is fantastic. I know both of us uh, follow Ryan Thibodeau at Not Mr. Tibbs and his mm-hmm. amazing team at the Baseball Hall of Fame Tracker, where they try to keep track of all the public ballots uh, that are out there and track along how players are doing. Uh, And it's such an amazing thing because when that ballot dropped on November 20th, uh, we were all excited, all our Hall of Fame nuts, just to see all the names like on official paper and everything like that. Uh, But to see them starting to get some traction, starting to get talked about more, uh, people are starting to buy up cards of guys that they think will make Mm. them Hall of Fame. There's a lot of great stuff going on. And uh, the ballot is for a Hall of Fame podcast. It is like the number one thing every year to talk about. Yeah, between the error committees and then the writer's ballot itself, uh, along with the announcements, of course, um, this is the most fun time of the year from a Hall of Fame perspective. And uh, for guys like us who collect the Hall of Fame, uh, you with your Hall of Fame type collecting, and now Hall of Fame autographs, uh, along with myself with Hall of Fame autographs, rookies, baseballs, all that stuff, it's a lot of fun. Um, and for Hall of Fame junkies that will be familiar with the tracker and stuff that we're going to go through today, uh, like Frank at Baseball Hall of Fame Autographs, uh, Bill over at uh, Bill, the Hall of Fame Collector, and uh, Mike Moynihan, uh, Baseball Collector. I know they look at this stuff, uh, but for those of you that maybe haven't before, uh, maybe we can give you a new tool where you can follow along with the fun like Dom and I do as well. So, Dom, let's jump into it, man, and explain to people kind of a little bit what the tracker is, what it does, what you can look at, and uh, how it's kind of a a fun precursor to the actual announcement. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And just for people that are maybe new to the Hall Hall of Fame voting season, players are eligible for the Hall of Fame after being retired for five seasons and having a career of at least 10 seasons long. Now, every player that falls into that category doesn't necessarily get their name on the ballot. The Baseball Writers Association of America has to decide which players are worthy of putting on and that is something that doesn't get talked about enough i think just getting your name on the hall of fame ballot means that you had a great career you're a fan favorite you put together a better than average career you're in consideration for the hall of fame even if you get zero percent of the vote it's an honor for those players and just pulling it up for you guys now they have an entire spreadsheet i know jake absolutely loves going through spreadsheets um but there's just tracking every single name that is on the ballot. And we're going to talk about the returning candidates first and how they're trending, because I think that's a little bit more important to just start things off because when they're first year on the ballot, there's no data to go off of. We don't know how the writers are going to respond to most of them. We might know that there's some first year locks that there's guys that are most likely going to get the minimum 5% to stay on the ballot. And there's a chunk of players that, They got the honor to be on the ballot, but they're probably one and done. So going through the returning candidates, I think that it's important to start with the guy who finished just 3% of the vote away last season, and that is Todd Helton. Yes, Helton, uh, who is quite an interesting case. Uh, a borderline guy, uh, and he's truly one that uh, I think most people go either way on. Um, I won't uh, ruin too much thunder here. I'm I'm a no on Helton. 
uh, even though I would admit he is very close by my standards. Um, and he's not somebody that I would be upset if he did get in. Um, if you'll give me full screen for just a moment for those on YouTube, uh, Dom, I've got a Todd Helton rookie card here uh, from Tops, and he's in uh, Team USA, which is kind of unique uh, for a Hall of Fame rookie. And then I've also uh, got a an autograph. Uh, this is Panini Donruss of Todd Helton that was uh, gifted to me by Ken's Cardboard uh, here, a fellow YouTuber, a couple years ago. Um, I'm a no on Helton, but like you said, percentage-wise, he barely missed last year. So as we flip back over to the tracker, I'm going to, starting with Helton, uh, point out a couple key things that you can see on this tracker and see uh, how Helton is trending so far this year. Probably my favorite statistic on uh, this spreadsheet that is live. It is updated um, as soon as Ryan Thibodeau and his team can get in new ballots into it. Uh, the coolest thing I think is the net plus minus among returning voters. Now, one tidbit of information here that's good to know. This is based off of the pub public ballots that are made public by the writers that have a vote, as well as anyone that submits to his team that prefers to remain anonymous, which does happen. Uh, there's already been two at the time of uh, this podcast recording that are anonymous. Then there are also additional ballots that will be private, that will not be known uh, going into the reveal process, which while I do think that all ballots should be public, really, uh, it kind of adds to a little bit of the mystery there at the end. So the net plus minus for Helton so far this year amongst returning voters in known ballots, he has so far gained one vote. Uh, that means somebody who did not vote for him last year did this year so far, but he's also lost a vote from a returning voter, uh, which is interesting. Um, but that means he's a net plus minus of zero at this point in the voting process. And as we get closer to reveal day, uh, that trend tends to be a pretty good indicator of where they may be going once the announcement happens. Uh, in terms of Helton, uh, Dom, or any of the other players generally for this spreadsheet, what's some of the things that you like to look at? Yeah, I think the plus or minus for returning candidates is probably the most important thing uh, because we've seen plenty of times where they only get a certain percentage of the ballots. You need 75% of the vote to get elected from all the voters, not just the ones that publicly put their ballots out there. And plenty of times you see a guy that trends at 80 plus percent of the public vote, but they don't get there through the entire writer basis. But with Todd Helton, whenever you see a player get 70 plus percent of the vote the next season, they're pretty much a lock. Mm -hmm. And whether you think Todd Helton should be a Hall of Famer like myself, or you're thinking that he's borderline and a no like Jake, he's going to get into the Hall of Fame most likely this year, but by the time that he's off the ballot, for sure. And the reason I think that Todd Helton is one of the most overlooked Hall of Fame candidates is because he played in the modern era and had a 316 career batting average. <laughs> that is just, that that's like pre-war level numbers. And I don't think enough people really value batting average. I think having an over 300 career batting average, especially with all the exit velocity and swing and miss in today's game, it is super impressive. 369 career home runs. It's not 400. It's not 500, but that's a good power number. A guy who has over 2,500 hits. I know you like that. I do like that. And 61.8 career war. I look at 60 war as kind of the basis where I start caring about it. Um, not that players that have 59 and less war aren't possibly future Hall of Famers, but I think that if you're looking from an analytics perspective at war, that 60 war, whether that is six war per season for 10 seasons, which would garner you MVP value, mm -hmm. or a 20-year career where you get accumulate three wins a season, I, I think that's enough to raise an eyebrow and get me to seriously consider your case. Uh, this is a guy who 
didn't get to choose where he played professional baseball. I was going to bring that up because someone's out there shaking their fist at the screen saying, but he played at Coors. He played at Coors. His numbers were better at Coors, but he was a one franchise loyal player. He's going to be on the Rockies Mount Rushmore for the rest of time. This is a guy who, like I said, 316 career average. That wasn't all accomplished on Coors Field. There was a lot of road games. And if you look at Todd Helton's career road numbers, his OPS for his road career is higher than some other borderline Hall of Famers in a lot of people's minds, like Jim Rice. I'm a Red Sox fan. I love Jim Rice. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, but so should Todd Helton. And I just think that he's pretty much a lock uh, because he got 72% last year. He's trending right now at 82% uh, through only a little over 30 vote uh, ballots, but he's someone that I'd be shocked if he doesn't get over the hump uh, to get that extra 3% that he needs. He's been making games bigger than that the last five years. I agree. And I do think he gets in this year and we are spending a little more time on Todd Helton here, but we want to explain some of the metrics we're going to be talking about with other players uh, just with him as the first example. Cause the second thing I like to look at uh, on the tracker is we are looking at a small sample size at the time of this recording uh, 33 public ballots plus two anonymous ones that are in this tracker, which you can also see the metric that that's uh, a projected 9.1% of the ballots that they expect to be submitted this year uh, by the Baseball Writers of America. So again, granted, small sample size. But the second metric that I like to look at the most, other than the net plus minus for returning voters, is what has been the trend that has happened, in, especially in the year prior, in terms of what percentage did they drop, gain, or stay neutral once the private part of the ballot is known. So for Helton himself, uh, last year, uh, pre-private uh, pre ballot, uh, he was trending at 78 79% just below it. But his results afterwards uh, dropped uh, basically six and a half percent of the vote. So for argument's sake, even though this is a small sample size at this point, if everything held true exactly mathematically the same for the rest of the ballots, both public and private, and if his current percentage dropped that six and a half percent, Helton would be over 76 percent. He would be elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame this year uh, on his sixth of 10 ballots. So that's one other metric I like to look at and we'll mention as we look at other players here on the returners. Yeah, and I think that that trajectory is very similar to what we just saw Scott Rowland do to get into the Hall of Fame last year, mm -hmm. uh, just getting over 76% of the vote uh, for election. And I kind of want to talk about a big four, I think, of returning candidates, and then we can talk about the other guys. Uh, the next one, 68% of the vote in 2023 is Billy Wagner. So and I, and I'll, I'll let you lead the charge here on Wagner for just a second. Okay. Well, I, I think you'll be proud of me because uh, I'm not really leading the charge on Billy Wagner. If I had a vote, uh, Billy Wagner would not get one. Uh, he was a very good reliever. 231 career ERA over a thousand career strikeouts. He's one of, I believe, 11 or 12 relievers to ever do that. 27.7 uh, career war relievers just aren't going to put up gaudy war numbers unless you're Mariano Rivera. And this is a guy who got 422 career saves. When he did that, 500 saves wasn't a milestone yet. So we do have to keep that in mind. Uh, but he's someone that, to me, if I'm putting relievers in the Hall of Fame, they need to be the best of the best, uh, the, the really high-end guys that either compiled their way to amazing greatness, uh, like Lee Smith and uh, Trevor Hoffman did, being at the top of the mountain for most saves, or guys that were just dominant, uh, like we saw with Dennis Eckersley uh, and some of the guys like that. And Billy Wagner just doesn't have either of those things to me. Um, I do think Billy Wagner is going to get into the Hall of Fame someday. He's at 68% of the vote. And every single player to accomplish 60% or more through the writers 
has gotten elected at some point. So he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but someone that I would actually be a no on uh, personally. And I don't blame you if you're more uh, accepting of relievers in the Hall of Fame, but that's somewhere where I would draw him just below the line. I also would not vote for Wagner. Um, but like you just mentioned, with him finishing at 68% last year, um, he's currently at 65.7% of the public ballot. Again, small sample size. Uh, and last year, uh, after the private ballot was revealed, he dropped 4%. With him being in the ninth year of the ballot, um, I personally believe, if I was going to bet on it, that he'll miss this year just barely again, and he gets in and his final year of eligibility with that kind of little extra push that a lot of players tend to get in their final year of eligibility and that he makes it next year. Yeah, I think that's probably the most likely outcome. I won't be shocked if he gets in this year. I know he's not trending in a super positive way, but that 7% jump is manageable. Mm -hmm. um, so don't be shocked if Billy Wagner joins Todd Helton on the stage uh, next summer. The next guy is very near and dear to you. I'm going to let you lead things off. And that is Andrew Jones. My boy. I got to show off uh, my Andrew cards here because uh, this is a collecting uh, podcast as well. But I've got uh, Andrew's Bowman's Best rookie card here. And I've also got a 2015 five-star Andrew Jones autograph. And I've got as a Braves fan, I've got other Andrew Jones patch cards and relics and, and stuff you're, like that. You're right. It's a collecting channel too. Let's show, let's show it a little bigger screen. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, I won't say no to showing them again, but for those of you on YouTube, there's the, the Jones rookie and the, uh, the five-star Andrew Jones autograph. I mean, I wish he would have had one in earlier year five-star, but I'll, I'll take that one. Um, but as far as his case goes, uh, for me, with 400 home runs and more than seven gold gloves, having 10 of them, that's Hall of Famer to me. Um, those are the two secondary uh, metrics that I think get in there. Um, and in terms of players that are not in the Hall with double-digit gold gloves, trivia time, Dom. Do you know the two other players along with Andrew Jones? One's going to get in on a first ballot here very soon. The other one, uh, Lou Rock TV, is a big proponent of this player. Do you know who they are? Well, you said double-digit gold gloves. That's not in the Hall of Fame. Correct. Does Vizquel like I know? I know who the two you're talking about are, but is Vizquel? Okay, he's currently on the ballot. I should have said yeah. that are not on the ballot yet, but okay, okay. three of them. So Vizquel. So you're talking about Keith Hernandez and Nolan Arenado. Oh, no. I Well, and I guess my trivia question has changed now that Arenado's double digits. Oh, yeah. Ichiro has 10 as well, right? Yes. That's the other player I was talking about. Um, but so very elite select club that's not in there in terms of uh, defensive hardware. Uh, so let's take a look at Andrew Jones in the tracker. I am going to take a moment to talk about him a little bit. So last year, uh, he finished at 58.1%. Uh, that was his sixth year on the ballot. Uh, the last couple years, uh, the year prior for Andrew, uh, he finished with 44.9%. Uh, the year before that, 36. So he's been consistently taking some jumps uh, here in the middle part of his eligibility. I don't think that he's going to be elected this year. The private part of the votership uh, tends to not vote for Andrew Jones, at least to this point, uh, as he was the biggest dropper that's still on the ballot uh, in terms of the private votership. He had an 8.4% drop to that 58.1%. Um, he was at 64 and a half uh, from the known ballot going in. However, early, but net plus minus, plus one. We're going the right direction. Uh, I do think Andrew takes another step forward this year. I think he's going to crack that 60% threshold we've been talking about, maybe 61-ish percent this year, and uh, take another step in his eighth year. And I expect him to get in on that ninth or tenth ballot here in a couple seasons. 
What do you think of my boy, Andrew Jones? Cracking that 60% will be huge for him. Uh, like I said, everyone that's gotten 60% has eventually gotten elected. Um, so that will be huge. And Andrew Jones, to me, it, it's pretty simple. Uh, there's only four players in the history of baseball that have that 10 gold gloves that you're talking about with 400 home runs. Mm-hmm. It's Willie Mays. It's Ken Griffey Jr. It's Mike Schmidt. And it's Andrew Jones. When you're in that kind of category, it, it's pretty simple to say, like, you probably belong in Cooperstown. Uh, when you dive deeper, if you bring it down to my qualifier of 300, the list is still under 10 names. Uh, so a unique combination of power and defense. Now, I know Theo and some other people out there will say gold gloves are completely subjective. A lot of them are popularity contests and stuff like that. They don't always go to the best defender. That is true. But they still have to count for something uh, to be named the best defender at your position in your league. Uh, So, Andrew Jones. If defenders get double-digit gold gloves by accident, Theo, let's talk about Roberto Clemente. (laughs) Now you're coming out one of the best defenders of all time, man. That's that's a rough one. I know he and he is. Let the let the comments come after you on that. Um, hey, I'm saying double digit gold gloves don't happen by accident. Is my point. The thing about Andrew Jones uh, that really hurts him is his 30s. His 30s, he completely fell off from a guy who was on a Hall of Fame path to a guy who finished his career with a 254 batting average, and something that I'm really interested about his case is he had 1,933 career hits. Mm -hmm. The rule of 2,000 is something that I very much value in my qualifiers and when I'm looking at Hall of Fame candidates. Andrew Jones breaking the precedent and getting elected by the writers with under 2,000 hits would open the floodgates to a, in my opinion, possible watering down of the Hall of Fame if it's not treated correctly. Um, I think that Andrew Jones having those elite numbers makes it good. But once you start opening that can of worms of these guys that had some nice peaks, but didn't get to even 2000 career hits, let alone 3000, which is an automatic for me and you. Sure. It gets a little worrisome Uh, with the defense. He was able to get over 60 career war, 62.7. And he was able to still compile, in my opinion, a good career, even without hitting that qualifier. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if he can be the first person by the baseball writers elected with um, under 2,000 hits since the wild card era, basically, like since the, mm-hmm. the late 60s. And he he is, for the most part, a peak case, obviously, with the drastic fall off in the latter part of his career. However, he does meet not one of the automatics, but he does meet a more major counting milestone number with those 400-plus home runs. But on the flip side, for the people that look at his average, for the people that look at that below 2,000 hits, you know, they say, did he do enough, you know, even though it was a short amount of time? And that that's why he's a, you know, borderline candidate. Uh, it would have made a huge difference if he had even two, three, more like good solid seasons, he's looked at differently. I truly believe that. Um, but his fall off was so sudden and so drastic. Uh, I've even heard some people make the argument on Jones of had he retired after his Braves career, he'd be a Hall of Famer. Which, from the way I view Hall of Fame stuff, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but there's something to that uh, as far as peak goes. Yeah, kind of what you just said is uh, it's a it's a career of two halves and if his career looked more like the first half than the second half, he would be getting in his first half of ballots. The first five years he would be elected. And now he's trying to get in, in the second half in years, eight, nine, 10. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's why when you start crowning these young players that look amazing as a future hall of famer and investing a lot of money in them, uh, sometimes they fall short. They don't age well injuries and things happen. And it could cost them a chance at Cooperstown. I do think Andrew Jones hitting that 60%. I do think he will be a Hall of Famer someday. I think he is deserving. The 400 home runs and 10 gold gloves alone being in that unique category. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see once he gets elected what these other under 2,000 hit candidates end up doing uh, on the ballot. It will be interesting to see. 
All right, who are we going to next? Um, My final one in the big four uh, is someone that I don't know if everyone considers in the big four, but I know me and you are both a pretty big fan of, and that's Carlos Beltran. Uh, I believe that Carlos Beltran is a slam dunk Hall of Famer uh, that if he didn't have that last year playing in Houston, hanging over his head, he would have done probably Vladimir Guerrero Sr.-esque on the writer's ballot where he was like a almost get in on his first year, but get in in his like second, third ballot kind of guy. Um, and he's someone that still, despite having that cloud over his head of one of the most hated modern teams, he was able to get 46 and a half percent of the vote. So I think that in his second year, he's going to get over that 50% marker easily. And he's going to just keep trending into the hall of fame. This is one of the better center fielders to ever play the game. I agree. Um, I think that, like you said, had it not been for his last season with, you know, the scandal, supposed scandal, however you want to look at it, who was involved, who wasn't, blah, blah, blah. Without his ties to those Astros teams, I don't think we're having this conversation right now uh, because this is one of my favorite stats about Beltran. Okay. He is one of four players in the history of baseball to have at least 400 homers, 2,500 hits, 300 stolen bases, your number, Dom, 1,500 RBIs, and 1,500 runs. Okay. Two of them are known steroids users. The other two are clean, counting Beltron. Do you know the four? Well, I know one of the steroids is Barry Bonds. Correct. I know one of the clean is Willie Mays. Yes, Beltron being the other clean in terms of that. The other steroid user, I'll give you a slight hint. He's on this ballot. Oh, so Sheffield. No. That was immediately my first guess. So A-Rod then? A-Rod. Okay. Okay. So that is, I don't like the picky, choosy stats like that most of the time, but that is elite company. Because if you're talking, if you want to go the route, if you're an anti-steroid guy, which I know you are, Dom, that means the only two players in the history of the game to meet those thresholds are Willie freaking Mays and Carlos Beltran. And I've got, I believe that he should be a Hall of Famer. So I've got some of his stuff. Um, there's his Bowman. Uh, rookie card, Carlos Beltran. And then uh, I've got a, a sweet spot autograph. I love those sweet spots, man. Beltran. They are Bigger for super you. cool. Uh, and I picked up those up uh, about a year or so ago, uh, anticipating, hoping that he will get in. Now, it's been interesting to see kind of how he's been treated by the writers thus far uh, with that scandal kind of over his head. It's his second ballot. Uh, last year, he finished fairly good for a quote-unquote middling candidate uh, for a first ballot. He had 46.5%. Um, he only lost uh, about 7.5% amongst the uh, private voters. So second biggest drop-off, well, barely more than less than Sheffield, in the top three drop-offs along with Andrew Jones in terms of the private ballot um, right now. You know, 35 ballots in, he's at 60%. Uh, he has gained four votes but lost two, so he's at a net plus minus of two. Early on in the process, but I feel like Beltron's going to go ahead and, and take another step this year. I think he's going to be over 50%. Uh, where do you think he'll land this year, Doug? I think that he's going to be in the upper 50s. I think he's going. I think he's going to be over 55%. Probably at the end of this, I think he's going to be in the 55 to 59 range, probably. Um, but I personally, I put him on my ballot last year. I I'm checking the name again. Uh, he's, he's someone that he's not borderline. <laughs> he's, he's a hall of famer, 70 career war. I look for 60, 70 career war playing center field for the majority of his career. And not only is it those crazy thresholds that you named with the four statistics, mm -hmm. but he's a switch hitter and only four switch hitters have 400 plus career home runs do you know the other three okay so ask me the question one more time carlos beltran is one of four hitters four switch hitters with over 400 career home runs can you name the other three other three mickey mantle yes chipper jones yes 
Who's the other switch hitter? Is it Eddie Murray? It is Eddie Murray. Oh, let's go. All three were first ballot, like easy Hall of Fame decisions. And Carlos Beltran, 2,700 career hits, 400 career home runs. Like you said, the 1,500 runs scored and RBIs. He is not a borderline case. And unlike Andrew Jones, he had his prime. Mm -hmm. He was a big playoff performer as well. He was. Andrew Jones was early. But he aged pretty well. He did. His stops towards the end in St. Louis and with the Yankees, with the Giants, like he was still a productive almost everyday bat. Uh, It's hard to say what an everyday player is in today's game, but like he was a very productive player even in his later years to help compile kind of the numbers that Andrew Jones wasn't able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it wasn't for, it's for two things. Baseball didn't want to come after the Astros players during that scandal. And mm-hmm. Beltran had just retired and took in a managerial job. So it was yeah. easier to single, single him out. If he was still a player in 2018 with the Astros, I don't think he serves a suspension. And I don't think we're talking about this right now. But he retired after he won that championship. And the rest is kind of history. He was painted as the ringleader. When as being a second ballot guy, I think that there was enough controversy there for those that believe in the sanctity of the first ballot hall of fame type guys that that mattered for him and that moved the needle. Um, So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how big of a jump he takes now here in the second year for those guys that felt like I'm going to punish him for one year. He shouldn't be a first ballot now. Um, So We'll see. I, I hope that he does get in the upper 50s and approach that 60 mark this year. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I'm trying to be conservative because I, I do think that, like Vladimir Guerrero Sr., he could have like a jump into like pushing election, uh, possibly. But I'm tempering the expectations because of him having that thing over his head. And some people still hate the Astros so much. And he's the first person from that team to kind of get the writer's taste. Um, But if you look at how he debuted on the ballot versus the alleged steroid users like Bonds, Clemens, et cetera, he's already ahead of that game. And those guys finished pretty dang close. Um, So I I think Beltran will get there. It's just probably going to take a couple of years, unfortunately. I agree. I agree. So now what's the time of the show we're going into now, Dom? My favorite. This is your favorite part. This is this is nothing against the other returning candidates, um, but just for time purposes, we're we're not going to touch on the other returning guys. I do think it's a shame that Gary Sheffield has been mistreated by the writers because if you look at Gary Sheffield's path of alleged use, it is very similar to David Ortiz who I am completely fine with getting to the Hall of Fame because he was named on a list for testing positive for nothing specific. And he played in Major League Baseball after they started suspending and he never served a suspension for performance enhancing drugs. So to me, Gary Sheffield, 500 career home runs, an elite power hitter, probably should be in the Hall of Fame. And I, I'm unfortunately seeing him get lumped in with the Bonds, Clemens, Sosa's, McGuire group more so than the Dave Ortiz, which I would vote for all of those guys because they didn't test positive and serve suspensions. Unlike Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez, who they were stupid enough to use it when it was illegal, get caught, get suspended. Multiple times. Yes, multiple times for both of them. But even just once, Ryan Braun, Nelson Cruz, et cetera. Like, I don't, I don't want those guys either. Um, but yeah, multiple times does not help either. So when and Sheffield finished at 55% last year, it is his last year on the ballot. Um, I do think he'll take a step forward for those guys that I'm punishing him to his last ballot slash last year push kind of thing, but he would have to jump 20% for election. And I just, I just don't think he's going to get there. He doesn't have the momentum. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. shame. And I'm hoping that he gets looked at more like a Fred McGriff wrong by the writers. But the problem is that we talked about that. Uh, contemporary era ballot it's stacked right now and i just don't see gary sheffield separating himself enough uh, to get elected anytime soon even though i think he very well should be a hall of famer and my boy mcgriff had no stigma so don't you know crack on my boy the crime dog oh, i'm just i'm just saying a guy that the writers kind of I understand. electing 
understand. Yeah, so this is the point in the show where we live up to our name, Cracking Cooperstown, and Jake decides to free one of his cards in his collection from its plastic prison. Uh, this time, we have a Josh Hamilton five-star auto that he will be cracking out of a Beckett wedge. This thing is huge, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, so J Jake is uh, is currently cracking out this Josh Hamilton, and Josh Hamilton never actually appeared on a Baseball Writers Association of America Hall of Fame ballot because he only technically played eight seasons in the major leagues. But for a short period in time, when he fought his inner demons, he had a serious drug problem. He came back and with the Texas Rangers, was one of the best players in baseball. In 2008, 32 home runs and a league-leading 130 RBIs. He also had a season in Texas with 43 home runs and 128 RBIs. He was top five in MVP voting three times in Texas, winning the 2010 MVP uh, with 32 home runs and 100 RBIs, arguably his worst prime season. He ended up winning the MVP. Uh, but just a really fun player, and the batting average in 2010, 359. Um, it's just an unbelievable talent, a guy who, if you remember, was toted with Carl Crawford and Rocco Baldelli to take over the league as the future of the Rays outfield. Uh, Baldelli and Hamilton didn't work out in Tampa. Crawford had a nice little career there, uh, but... Hamilton, nonetheless, uh, a guy who, if he got to 10 years of eligibility, would have gotten his name on the writer's ballot uh, for that one-and-done situation because he was truly a guy who changed baseball like in Texas. And up until this recent World Series run, the most exciting era of Texas baseball, you could argue, uh, was those early 2010 Rangers teams. Dom, you're doing a great job talking a long time about Josh Hamilton because this thing is a beast to crack open. Um, so I will help you a little bit. So for those of you out there that know my collection, I'm a big Hall of Fame collector and a big five-star collector. So why am I buying a Josh Hamilton? Because I obviously don't think he's going to get in the Hall of Fame. He's not even eligible, right? And he doesn't you know, he doesn't belong in any of the major milestone clubs, like, you know, 500 homers, 3000 hits, nothing like that, obviously. Uh, but he did win that MVP and I am considering dabbling in, uh, some of those awards, uh, for guys that are especially in five-star in the years that I really liked. Um, so I finally freed him from his prison <laughs> There's the 2012 five-star Josh Hamilton autograph. It was a Beckett 10 autograph. Wow. And I cracked it. That's the best year of five-star autos, in my opinion. I love that design. 100% agree. Uh, but now that I have freed him from his prison, and for this one, put plastic all over the baseball room, dude. I'm going to have to get a vacuum up in here. Uh, we can move along on the ballot. Yeah, I mean, we named the big four uh, as well as Gary Sheffield being his last time on the ballot. I would vote for all. Uh, I'd vote for all of them, but Billy Wagner that we've named so far. Jake, is there any returning candidates that you would check the box for uh, that we did not name out of those five? So this is happening in real time. Um, I, I've talked about this some before in terms of my like opinion on steroids. And I always felt that if one got in, that you let them all in. Um, so for me, Ortiz failed to test. No, we don't technically know if it was PDs or exactly what, but he failed a test of some kind that is known. And now he's a hall of famer. <clears throat> so I had said, you know, okay, let them all in. I've heard this argument more and more, and I'm starting to lean that way. In terms of the guys that did what you actually just said, got suspended once it was actually a rule, maybe that's slightly different. Because then it's even more obvious than it was of don't do it, and they did it anyways. And especially in the case of Manny and A-Rod, like, 
even then you screw up once, you know, maybe you still take the path of forgiveness and, you know, you can change your mind on that. But twice, like, I think that I've flipped to a no on uh, A-Rod and Manny because of that. Um, so without those guys, um, Omar Vizquel is someone that I would vote for. Um, yes, I do in no way is his off-field stuff a positive. No, do I condone the things that he's allegedly uh, or has been convicted of, um, the things that he's done off the field. But on the field, double-digit gold gloves, 2,500-plus hits, like I'd vote for Vizquel as a baseball famer. What about you, Dom, as you take a look at, at the remaining guys? Yeah, I mean, you know that I was a huge, uh, not, well, not huge, but a, a fan of Jimmy Rollins' Hall of Fame case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we have kind of dove more into what is a Hall of Famer through this podcast over the year, um, I've actually kind of taken a back seat on Jimmy Rollins. Not that he's so far away that I would be upset that he gets elected, but he's not someone that I'm going to push anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are those two guys, Omar Vizquel, the charges from his wife at least have been dropped. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's something where I'd be comfortable voting with him again. Uh, and the other guy, he is the uh, many talents master of none. And that is Bobby Abreu. Uh, Bobby Abreu Ooh. is someone who I would check the box for. I don't think he's going to get in through the writers. But when you look at Bobby Abreu's career, he has a 111 Hall rating on Hall of Stats. 100 is usually the marker for Hall of Fame through their website. And he's a guy that hits my threshold at 60.2 career war, just under 2,500 hits, 2470, just under 300 home runs, 288, 291 career hitter. And what's really interesting about him is that he has 1,453 runs scored. He has 1,363 RBIs and something that I don't think he's known for at all 400 career stolen bases like he was a very solid base stealer even stealing he had a 30 40 season uh, back in the day as well so like he was a guy that had a little pop and could steal bases Uh, not a lot in the award department two all-stars a gold glove home run derby champion that's nice to see Uh, but he's someone that I think needs to keep being in the conversation. I think that he's someone that might hear his name called on an errors committee one day. Um, And because there's not 10 slam dunk candidates on this ballot, I'm going to keep checking the box for Bobby Abreu in the meantime, now that I've re-looked at how I consider a Hall of Famer in terms of just like basic statistics to look around. He's just over my line. As I go to my personal Hall of Fame spreadsheet and I go to retired potentials, which means any player in the history of the game that is not currently playing that meets any of my metrics across the board, the the secondary level ones even, hits, home runs, stolen bases, RBIs, runs, gold gloves, silver sluggers, MVPs, Cy Young, so on and so forth. If I search for Bobby Abreu with control find in my spreadsheet, it doesn't bring up any results. He just misses like four of yours. He just misses several. He's not on there. Uh, So for me, you know, trying to be consistent, for those of you that listen to the podcast and know where I stand on this stuff, I wouldn't vote for him. Um, I also wouldn't be shocked if he did get his name called someday on an era committee. I, I don't think he's deserving. I would not vote for him, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I don't think it's so outlandish that like, no way, no shot. He's never getting in the Hall of Fame. Like, uh, Allie Reynolds, for example, like he's never getting it. He almost did one time. I know. One of our our Philly friends uh, is a proponent of him and is also a proponent of Bobby Abreu. Um, But I don't think they're the same. Abreu, I will say that he's borderline. And that's saying something coming from me. (laughs) People talk about Todd Helton not having that wow factor, that it factor, that kind of like thing that like makes you think you're watching a hall of famer. Bobby Abreu is the same thing. Like he has nothing about his name or remembering him makes you think hall of famer. But when you look at the finished product, you look at the career he was able to compile. It's pretty dang good, man. And I think that 
he's someone that at least deserves the Hall of Fame consideration. I'm not saying put him in tomorrow, but I'm saying I have up to 10 votes to use. He's a name that I'm going to keep on the ballot if I can. You don't have to use all 10, Dom. But I would say... I'm actually only using nine right now. Since you compared him to Helton, I will say that Helton, in my opinion, is much closer than Bobby Abreu. Yes, he has the much better offensive career. I agree. Yeah, I agree. All right. So now that we've touched on the main guys we want to talk about, uh, the other returners of note. Now that leaves us with the new to the ballot guys. So where do we want to start here? Yep. Again, first off, before we get into these guys, congratulations to all of these players that got their name called and put on the ballot this year. I'm starting to get old to the point where like, I've watched a lot of these guys now. Um, where it used to be, I would follow the Hall of Fame, and I I didn't watch the I watched like the tail end of some of the guys, some of the guys I never watched at all. Um, but now I'm getting to the point where I've watched like pretty much everybody that's hitting the ballot, which is really cool to see. Um, and the headliner for this year's class is Adrian Beltre. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who has over 3,000 career hits, has 477 career home runs, and was an elite defender at the hot corner, like a guy who was legitimately great with the glove. Uh, He was someone that got better with age in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, He had kind of a lull in the middle of his career when he went to Seattle trying to play in that pitcher's ballpark, trying to hit home runs. If he didn't spend those years in Seattle, I think he'd be in the 500 home run club. And you'd be talking about him as one of the greatest third basemen that ever lived. Um, But he's trending really well. His rookie card is the 97 Bowman Chrome. You got the or Bowman. the Bowman if you don't have the Chrome. No, you gotta get the Chrome. That's what PSA says. Um, I don't care what you know. I don't care what they say. <laughs> now, if it, if the if the Bowman base didn't look completely different on the outside, like the borders go black from Chrome, I would not care which one. But I, I'm getting the Chrome. Um, and look, man, you can send me the Chrome if you want. Something I want to also get into, like with these new candidates that just hit the ballot. Us Hall of Fame aficionados, we have this thing that we affectionately call the window. And it's that five-year stretch when they have to be retired before they can be on the ballot where they're not playing anymore and people aren't talking about them. And that's the best time to pick up cards. If you really feel like someone's a slam dunk and they're going to get in early, I would say get those players first Mm -hmm. before you get the players that you're kind of just passionate about otherwise. But Adrian Beltre... On card autographs for the longest time, you could have them for under 50 bucks. Now that we're a few weeks away from election, it's hard to get the on card stuff for under 50 bucks. Well, but and the card that I'm I'm showing, Dom, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, yeah. th- this is a Panini autograph, and I, I do want to upgrade from it, but it's number 25. And I, in the window, I bought this card for 20, like 25 bucks. It's at least double that now, and it's a you know no logos panini autograph, which I want to upgrade to one in preferably Rangers uniform. Um, but now, because we're very much out of the window, it's not the time to buy a Beltre autograph. You're gonna have to probably wait until next fall winter for his prices to start coming down again, because there will be a rush to get his autograph when he gets elected, even though everyone knows he's going to. Yep. And then there will be another spike again in the summer when the induction ceremony comes around. Mm-hmm. So you're probably gonna have to wait until the fall, winter. Not saying you can't get one now. Uh, maybe, maybe it'll end up being a good deal if you get the right one that's numbered to the right thing or has a nasty patch on it or something like that. Mine is from Upper Deck Origins, Old Judge. This is a really cool image with an on-card auto. He's a really nice autograph. He um, does. And as someone who watched a lot of Adrian Beltre. I was always as a kid growing up, even before he spent that one amazing year with my Boston Red Sox, I thought that he was the best third baseman I ever watched. Chipper Jones was great with the bat. There were some other guys great with the glove, but Beltre had both. And until Nolan Arenado came along, I was completely on that train of like, this is the best third baseman I ever watched. And the fact that Nolan Arenado, a guy that's in that elite 10 gold glove club is the one that possibly besmirches him or mm-hmm. out, outgoes him. It says a lot about Beltre's amazing career. 
I'm very sentimental to Chipper Jones, so I'm just not going to argue with you. <laughs> he was a better hitter, but Beltre was the best of both worlds. Yeah. All right. So we gave Beltre his flowers. He's going to be a Hall of Famer this year. Uh, the next candidate uh, that we're going to talk about here in terms of first timers, uh, let's go over to uh, let's go to Joe Maurer. Let's talk about Maurer a little bit. Um, I have said for years that when Maurer and Yadier Molina and Buster Posey, once they hit the ballot, the writer's ballot, that we could see a redefining of how the writers view the catcher position in terms of Hall of Famers. Now, for those of you out there that say, oh, Maurer only played half of his career, X amount of games at catcher, it's undeniable that his best years were as a catcher uh, when he won his batting titles, when he won his MVP. Uh, those things. Now, in terms of his Hall of Fame eligibility, I would not vote for Maurer at this point in time. I wouldn't. I actually would only vote for Molina of those three if you're really curious. However, I think, like I said, if Maurer gets in, if Molina gets in, if Posey gets in, I think the catching position looks different in terms of Hall of Fame. And if you look at the tracker, uh, Maurer uh, again, small sample size to this point, but he's had a pretty strong showing uh, to start with for not someone who anybody really thought was going to be a first ballot guy. He's at 74.3% at the time of the making of this video uh, with our 35 known ballots, which even with that small of a sample size is a pretty good start. Um, he won't end up there. He'll drop a little. Um, but what do you think about Maurer and his candidacy, Dom, seeing what's happening so far early on in year one. Yeah, I mean, I was a huge Joe Maurer fan growing up. Uh, he has one of the best plays I've ever seen in my life of him diving back to tag Brett Gardner out at the plate. Um, if you've ever seen that one, I can leave the link in the description of this video to that for those of you that haven't seen it. But he was just a legit hitter. And it's something about the water down in Minnesota, man. Uh, he was someone who was a, a legit prospect as a quarterback in high school. Uh, he got drafted number one overall, which there's a lot of pressure in being the number one overall pick. We talked about that in the Harold Baines episode a little bit as well, living up to that hype and having a well above average career. There's so many flops that get picked number one overall. 55.2 career war, so it's under my mark of 60 but it's actually over the average war of Hall of Fame catchers. We have to look at catching a little differently. It's a lot more of a toll on the body. He breaks that rule of 2,000 hits, 2,123, and he's a 306 career hitter. Like I said, in the modern era, being able to do that, like Maurer did, like Helton did, like Miguel Cabrera, who will be on the ballot in five years, did, that's special to me. And, and doing it as a catcher. That's what I'm getting to. He has three batting titles all three were won as a catcher and this is how unreal that is there have been seven seasons in major league history where a batter where a batting crown was won by a catcher mauer is one of two that has multiple and he's the only one with three uh is it lombardi lombardi has two yes let's go nice i wasn't even, i wasn't even gonna quiz that one um but his three batting championships, 347, 328, and 365 average. Mm -hmm. That's legit. And I don't care if he didn't finish his career as a catcher. I don't care that he doesn't have a thousand career games behind the plate. It was for his safety. Part of the reason him and Buster Posey don't have those 20-year catching careers like we were used to seeing is because the athletes are well-trained, bigger, faster, stronger, and they were colliding into home plate. Both Maurer and Posey had serious concussions and shoulder injuries because of collisions, back problems as well that all catchers deal with. Before the changes to the rules. I mean, it's called the Posey rule for a reason. Exactly, and Maurer suffered from it with a little bit less of a graphic hit, but very similar things as well before that. He's someone that just did more than enough, in my opinion, uh, I wish that he got to a thousand career RBIs. He has 923, but he did score over a thousand runs at a thousand and eighteen. 
a guy who has over 400 doubles, 428. He wasn't a big home run guy, 143 career home runs. But he's a peak case at a position where you really want to see either peak or you want to see longevity. It's one or the other. And he has peak where it's, I think, past the Thurman Munson levels of peak. Um, Thurman Munson also has an MVP, won championships. Maurer did not win any championships, but just cumulative career. Maurer's career is a step or two above Munson's, in my opinion. And it won't be a shock to me with how he's trending and just how I view him. I expect him to get in on his first half of the ballot. Somewhere between year one and year five, I expect Maurer to get in. For those of you that are wondering what Maurer's key rookie card is, it's his 2002 Bowman. And his autographs are sneaky expensive because he was a lifetime twin and that fan base loves him. There's a nice five star. This tells you exactly what I think of Joe Maurer's possibility of getting in the hall. I'm holding up a 2012 five star of Joe Maurer. At his prices, even as a non-Hall of Famer, I would not buy this card if I didn't think he was going to get in the hall. Yeah, so I, I think that he is someone that I would abs- I'm absolutely voting for, and uh, I'm glad to see that he's doing so well early on. It's obviously going to drop, but like I said, he hits that 60% marker, which I think he will in the first three years. Um, he's going to get into the Hall of Fame someday. Quick sidebar, just a yes-no question. Let's say for argument's sake that Maurer gets in. And then Molina does as well. Will Posey get in? He might. Posey's the one out of the three that I would say no. I think he's the least likely, even with those two guys getting in around the same time. Because that could be to his benefit in terms of we're redefining what a catcher is. But does he fall short in various areas? Because I think that he does. uh, Compared to the two who would get elected around the same time potentially as Posey. Um, so I don't know. It'll be an interesting candidacy to follow. It's super interesting too, because Posey is the most, I think, talked about of those three in terms of the hall of fame, even though I think he put together the least amount of stats, um, of the three. So it's interesting that there's kind of that opinion of him that like, of course, Buster Posey's a hall of famer rookie of the year MVP. He won one batting title. He won the three championships. He caught no hitters in perfect games. Like how is he not a hall of famer? So he might very well get there. Um, It'll depend on who's on the ballot at that time. If he gets one of my 10 votes though. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll move on to another one of the uh, first year candidates. Uh, I do briefly want to mention uh, Jose Batista, but let me tell you why. Jose Batista, I'm only bringing up for one reason. I'll never have another reason to show off this card. The only one of one printing plate I ever pulled myself when I was still buying packs and boxes was Joey Bats. Uh, so good job, Joey Bats. You have no votes so far, but congratulations on being on the ballot and uh, getting punched by Roughnetto Door. I, I could have sworn that someone did vote for him. I don't think he has any at this point. Or someone at least that has a vote said they were going to vote for him. Okay, that might be true because he's got none on the uh, tracker. I remember seeing that and I was just like, really? He's going to get one vote? Yeah. Um, the bat flip he, earned it, I guess. No, but if, if you're just looking at that like stretch early in Toronto, you would think that you're watching a Hall of Famer like in the batter's box. But he just had a, such a slow start and such a like st- uh, steep fall off at the end that it didn't really matter. And yes, uh, I think that him getting knocked out by Rugnet Odor is going to be what a lot of people remember about him, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but great power bat there for a few years. But now one of the other interesting real candidates for this year. Tell me what you think about Chase Utley. This is kind of what I'm worried about when I said that thing with Andrew Jones earlier about how the rule of 2000 getting thrown out by the Baseball Writers Association can really open things up and i'm sorry i understand that both the catching position and the second base position are both a little underrepresented in cooperstown right now uh but the fact that almost everybody who's voting for mauer is also voting for utley is driving me insane um 64.5 career war he's right there for what i want but 
four silver sluggers at, like I said, a position where there's not a lot of great hitters. He won four in his 16-year career, so one every four years. That's that's pretty good. 1,885 career hits. That's not 19-something where he just missed like like Andrew Jones. I know it's only uh, like a 40-hit difference between him and Andrew Jones, but he just doesn't have the body of work around that disappointing hit total like Andrew Jones does with the home runs, the RBI, uh, the home runs, the gold gloves, the RBIs, 259 career home runs. He has over 1,100 runs scored and just over 1,000 RBIs. He's a borderline case, but the fact that he's getting pretty much equal support to Joe Maurer right now, I just don't think that they're the same candidate. Um, Will Chase Utley get into the Hall of Fame someday? It's looking like it, Uh, but he would not get a check from me. I really, really hope that this is a product of small sample size and just all the Philadelphia, you know, homers have submitted their ballots so far for the public because I, again, small sample size, but him being at 60% right now is mind blowing to me. He's already gotten like as many votes as I thought he would. I mean, I, I don't see him at a hall as a hall of famer whatsoever. And at least early on, this is a strong, first ballot showing from Utley. Um, we'll see how it shakes out. I, again, I hope it's a product of small sample size and we're, you know, blowing this out of proportion, but we'll see. Um, but Utley, yeah, I mean, he's not close to me outside of war. Like he falls short of the rule of 2000, you know, he's barely cracks a thousand in, in runs and RBIs. And I just, I just don't see it, man. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, and the, the thing we talked about Buster Posey kind of just he he has those Hall of Fame traits, but not the stats. If you're looking for a second baseman that fits that criteria, Dustin Pedroia will be hitting the ballot. That's a guy that has 51 career war, 1805 career hits, a 299 career hitter, MVP, rookie of the year, multiple championships versus Chase Utley. Finished highest in MVP voting at seventh. So he was never a finalist. He's never even top five. Four silver sluggers, like I said. He made some all-star teams, I believe six. And he was a part of that one World Series winner in Philly in 2008, where you could argue during that time, analytically, he was the best player. But value-wise, he was both sides of him were MVPs, Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard like guys that were considered across the league as as more valuable mm. than Chase Utley, even though analytically, when you look at their careers, he has the highest war and was a good all-around player. I just don't understand the level of support he's getting. And that's kind of what I said, is Andrew Jones doing so well with under 2,000 hits, then they can start the people that are, you, I always call you smaller hall and me bigger hall because true small hall and true big hall are extremes. And if you get the big hall being too extreme, saying you're watering down the hall of fame with guys like Scott Rowland in this, you can start kind of opening the pages up and then Dustin Bedroya and Buster Posey are getting serious hall of fame consideration when they really didn't do enough by normal hall of fame standards to get there. Chase Utley's kind of in that category, but with less hardware. And you don't want it to go to the extreme small hall the other direction either. There was a ballot submitted yesterday. I believe his name's Juan Vignet, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He voted for Adrian Beltre and Adrian Beltre only. And while, yes, Beltre's a Hall of Famer, no question. There are other deserving candidates on the spectrum of what a Hall of Famer is on this ballot. Not all of them are, but there are more than one. Um so you don't want it to go too far one way or the other, or we're never going to elect anybody or we're going to elect absolutely everybody. And that's not what you want. Um, you want somewhere in between. It's still the most exclusive uh, Hall of Fame there is. Less than 1% of the players that ever played baseball have been elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, we don't have requirements uh, like the NFL Hall of Fame where you have to elect so many every year. And we're not the Basketball Hall of Fame where they let the ball boys in. Uh, so the Baseball Hall of Fame is still the most exclusive the most fun process. Uh, so let's let's keep it somewhere in this middle ground, and it's what makes the discussions and things like we're doing here fun. Uh, before we close, uh, I do want to mention 
one more player. You may have one more thing too, Dom. Uh, the player I do want to mention here is uh, Mark Burley, uh, only because he did throw a perfect game, and he's better than you think. He's not a Hall of Famer, uh, but you know I liked watching Burley, and uh, he is part of my collection because he threw that perfect game. So, yeah, Mark Mark Burley. I mean, I'm okay with him hanging around on the ballot, um, but he's someone that I don't think deserves serious support. Um, and the one candidate I want to talk about, oh, we gotta, we gotta visit again. How we doing, Luca? Say, hey, Dom. Hey, Dom. Say, How we doing? Talking? can you say Hall of Fame? Hall of Fame. Go awesome. Bravos. Go Bravos. <laughs> uh, all right. Dom's going to talk now. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. That's awesome. Um. Now I just feel like I am completely on an island by myself here because there's one other first-year candidate that has yet to get a public vote, and that is Matt Holliday. Matt Holliday, to me, he's, again, like Bobby Abreu, not an obvious Hall of Famer by any means, but a lot better than you think. He's actually over the rule of 2,000, 2,096 career hits, over 300 home runs, which I care about, 316. He has just as many silver sluggers as Chase Utleaf with four. He was part of the 2011 World Series champion Cardinals. And I talked about it earlier. Hitting 300 in the modern game is super valuable. And he was a 299 career hitter in 15 seasons. Uh, guy who was robbed in the 2007 MVP voting. They gave it to Jimmy Rollins. But his season, 216 hits, led the league. 50 doubles, led the league. 36 home runs in a league leading. 137 RBIs. With a batting title, 340. So the Coors effect, uh, I think, took him away from winning an MVP there, which would make his case a lot stronger. And I'm really hoping that he gets a surge late in the voting to get that 5% to stick around because he's a name that's worthy of uh, being towards the bottom of the ballot. I'm glad Luca gave you a moment to finish what you wanted to say, Dom. Uh, but this has been fun, man. Yeah, is that funny? Uh, this has been good, man. I've enjoyed discussing the Hall of Fame ballot uh, with you and everybody out there that's been watching. Uh, you can find me. He's now repeating everything I say. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Legends Never Die Collection or here on YouTube. Dom, let the people know where they can find you. Yes, Damon Sports Guards on YouTube and Instagram. Definitely check me out. Uh, not quite as cool as Jake and Luca over there, but uh, if you enjoy my takes on the Hall of Fame, hopefully you'll uh, enjoy talking Hall of Fame and Hall of Fame collecting with me as well. All right, Luca, can you tell him bye-bye? Bye-bye. Say, keep collecting. Keep kicking. And say, God bless. God bless. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> that way, hat.